This is Donald Parham. You're listening to Chargers Unleashed, part of the L.A. Football Network. Stay jiggy. Hey, this is Chris from the second. Chargers outside linebacker. And make sure you check out Chargers Unleashed. Shout out to Chargers Unleashed. Sebastian Joseph Day. You know the vibes. We outside. Are you checking in with Mike Williams from the L.A. Chargers? And you're listening to the Chargers Unleashed. You're listening to the Chargers Unleashed podcast with your host, Dan Wolkenstein and Jake Hefner. Welcome to another edition of Chargers Unleashed. Jake Hefner and special guest host Ryan Dyroot here with you from the LA Football Network. Today's show, of course, is being brought to you by Bet Online, Charger Bolt Family, Rock Solid Sports Memorabilia. If this is your first time tuning into the show, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I realize it says Dan Wolkenstein on the screen here, but obviously Ryan Dyroot is not Dan Wolkenstein because Dan Wolkenstein is currently sitting in lovely Maui, enjoying the sun rays while we are here, sitting here, going to be going over what took place, the fallout from the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine. Ryan Dyerud, our very own from LAFB, was there, boots on the ground, obviously going to talk to him about his experience and talk about a lot of the takeaways from their positional groups because obviously a lot of people made noise which stocks are up, which stocks are down, fluctuations, especially as it relates to the Chargers. But first off, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on uh, for this part of the pod. was excited to get into this with you because I know you were there. But yeah, to kick us off, man, how was the experience there in Indy? Talk about it. Jake, my man, thanks for uh, giving me a call. And, you know, cheers to Dan, who's having better times poolside in, in Maui as, as we're here in rainy Southern California yet again. Um, but yeah, I was impressed. Your intro is always so powerful and so well done that I thought you were just going to still say Dan Wolkenstein because it's just the same <laughs> repetition every time. So well done, even though the name on the screen says that you did the intro right. But um, no, thanks for having me. Uh, but no, it was great. Indy was awesome. Um, first time actually out there for the combine. I've been to Indy the city before, but never for uh, the NFL combine and all the stories you hear about, you know, everyone. It's such a small, we talk about it a bunch. Probably if people listen to my show are, are sick of hearing it, but it's such close proximity that everyone that's there, athletes, agents, GMs, scouts are everywhere together. So like you're at the convention center together, you're at Lucas oil together. You're at all the steakhouses together. You're at the bars together. Um, we were hanging out with Mark Brunel. We were hanging out with uh, NFC West coach that I won't name at uh, at the Slippery Noodle one night. Like everyone is hanging out together, and it's like a, a, I think that's what makes the city so perfect for an event. Why I'm, I'm glad they renewed the contract for another year. Hopefully they continue on forever and ever. But awesome experience, and excited to get into it uh, with you, Jake. So thank you, sir. I read a tweet just before we jumped on here. I think it was from Matt Miller who said, "I just got home from Indy, and." I have no idea what to eat for dinner besides like shrimp cocktail. And <laughs> there was one other. So apparently they really take care of their people there at the combine when it comes to food related or just anything from the media in general. Well, it's, it's Indian gen. And again, I didn't branch out other than like the a four block radius of like where that stadium is, but that's like downtown Indy. They have like nine steakhouses just in that vicinity like me and we were with uh, ryan anderson one of our beat writers there who i know obviously you know me and him were there and like i'm like i kind of like don't want steak is there anything else to eat like they have like one little cantina and then there's a uh a little brewery right there and the rest are literally all steakhouses so um you get home and you're like okay uh are we i guess we're eating steak tonight i guess we're eating steak for lunch dinner and breakfast but uh yeah it was it was super cool and they take care of the media but all the obviously going out is all on your own time um, but it's well worth it to to see who you get to see and have some good meals. And yeah, Indy definitely takes care of uh takes care of the visitors. And I think they embrace um the people that come in. And the last thing I'll say about that, Jake, is you know, a lot of cities have events. I remember when I lived in Long Beach, we had the Long Beach Grand Prix. I don't know if you've gone to it, but it's a it's a blast on the Indy car Indy car circuit. You gotta go. Long Beach Grand Prix is awesome. But certain cities you can feel when they have those events, as they should, like embrace that weekend or that week and it's like they make it a big thing and they make everyone feel welcome and a part of it and i remember i lived in long beach for college and it was like all right april it's always like between the 18th and 21st or so is the grand prix and it's like you look forward to it all year 
People come in from all over the world. The city takes care of everyone. Um, and that's exactly what Indianapolis is for the combine. It's like you talk to people that live there. They're like, yeah, we cannot wait for this week just because a, it's a, it's a huge economy booster, but B it's like, we get to meet a bunch of people. We get to see a bunch of cool, you know, media athletes, scouts, all those things. So the city really embraces it. And, um, yeah, just an all around, all around great time. Nice. That's great. Sounds you'll be awesome. out there one day. You're, you'll be out there hopefully next year. That would be nice. Right. I would love that. That'd be a great experience. Um, well, let's dive into this because I know that this entire weekend was focused. A lot of hype was going around about a number of these different prospects. Four days of the combine, watching these guys run through drills. A lot of excitement on both sides of the football, both for offense, defense. A lot of guys uh, really just taking the headlines from their position groups as well. Was there, and I wanted just to notice, because I know that you were doing a lot of networking there, but just in general, just from you know everything that you've talked about on your show, kind of pretense was there was there any position group that you were saying to yourself you know i'm really looking forward to either how the wide receiver group's going to do how x player is going to do just from being there and then did you see results that surprised you anything that just you know headlines off the top of your head that that you kind of came out came out saying wow yeah I'll, I'll throw a couple obvious ones out there i'll throw i'll try to sprinkle in some some tidbits either and then obviously i'd love your comments i know you were you were plugged in watching everything too but you know edge is always a fun group to watch and it, it helps when the chargers are there's definitely i know that we got mac and bosa and first of all let me say all these rumors about mac i think are just ludicrous nothing's happening with cleo mac i don't know if you agree but cleo mac is going to be a, a, a charger next year i don't know where these rumors start and how people like roll with them but anyway so they have those two guys who are obviously great, but you still need some depth at that position. And I think this is a fairly good class, or maybe it's a little top-heavy, but um, I'm sure you guys, I don't know if you talked about it uh, on your last episode or not, but Nolan Smith, you know, just blew everyone away with, you know, the speed out there. The drills look good. Obviously, the 40 time was unbelievable. But here's a guy that, you know, maybe he's there at 21, and a guy that the Chargers maybe, I know probably fans aren't thinking edge, is a number one need, but you know, sometimes if you go best player available, maybe that's a guy that, that you look at. So um, the edge guys were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, it's just crazy, Jake, every year watching that when you see these guys run and obviously they're not in pads, but these don't look like the edge guys of just 10 years ago. I mean, they look like right receivers out there, just slim fit cut up. Like they're not these kind of just, guys that are a little faster than the big 300 pound nose tackles, right? That's what the edge used to be. It was like, you had your, your middlemen, they were like 300 pounds and you had your edge guys that were like, you know, 290, 300. They were just a little faster. Now you got guys that are still in that weight range, 280, 290, 300, but they're running four, four forties. And they look just like Greek gods out there running around. So um, those were fun. Let me ask you just so we can go back and forth. So before I go to another position, what were your thoughts on the edge? Cause I know, I think you guys covered it. Your last episode I saw, um, but if you want to touch on that again, I mean, these dudes were flying. I mean, Nolan Smith, obviously taking the cake for context. He ran a faster 40 than either Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley did. And that's just the ridiculousness of the evolution of athletes in the NFL nowadays. Um, yeah. Other guys that just really came out and impressed that I really liked. I was I was bummed to not see Will McDonald go through the full set of drills because I know that he was battling an illness. So I am looking forward to seeing how he comes out on his pro day. But I mean, just talk about just a, a man who's still going to go out there with, you know, a high fever that he had on Tuesday. No big deal. I'll still go out and I'll jump a broad jump of uh, 11 feet. <laughs> Could still do that, even though he's reeling from from health issues. You know, Lucas well, Van Ness was, was another one. Real yeah, quick, Jake, that Lucas would cut you off. It was. Yeah, it was hilarious, though. Um, so we're all this was the first year, by the way, I didn't even realize this. The first year media was allowed, like full media was allowed in the stadium watching drills. Apparently um, in 2021, so just last year or 2022, maybe it was the first time they apparently we were talking to media guys out there and they came into the convention center and said, first 20 that want to come, we'll take you to the stadium and you can watch drills. So this was the very first year where like every credentialed media member was allowed access into the stadium. So that was super cool. Um, obviously fans were there too. So I say that because, so we we're all sitting there together, a bunch of us from, you know, all these different networks, all these different radio stations and talk about Will McDonald and how he's not doing the drills, but they show up on, I don't know if they showed on the broadcast, but they show up on the big screens, him out jumping cars in the parking lot. And we're like, Yes. He's not going to run drills, but he's good enough to go jump cars. Like it was just a big <laughs> laughing point for all of us out there sitting in the stands. 
yeah, it's another guy who's just an athletic freak that I really just am yeah. excited to see where he's going to go. A lot of people have said, as far as fits goes, uh, that that is a good fit for the Chargers. Who you know don't know what round we may be talking about as far as Will McDonald goes, but other guys that really impress as far as combine drills goes. Lucas Van Ness is another one that Dan and mm-hmm. I had had conversations about possibilities at 21, and still for the fact that he was not a starter at Iowa. And yet you're seeing what he's doing out here in the combine, even the the statistics that he was able to put put up during his final year at Iowa, his position versatility along the entire line. Um, I I always am careful when it comes to these names. And I I know I butchered some in the past, but please pronounce them. Tell me me that I'm pronouncing this right, because I know this is our USC guy, Tui Pelotu. Tuli Tuli Pelotu, correct? Okay, got it. I almost feel like I'm about to stutter every time I say his name, and I know I will have that for some of these other guys. Uh, I really like – I know that he didn't get a chance to do much of the drills there, but just for what he did uh, in his college career, you know, it's another guy that it was – as far as when you put the film on, he's another guy in maybe possibly late day two, day three you look at for the Chargers. Uh, But Isaiah Foskey, I thought, had a great combine uh, down there. again. Yeah. Sorry, it's your then show. It's okay. I don't want to keep cutting you off, but just it's going okay. back to Tule. You, you were there, Tule, sir. Just because, well, we were there, but also Tule, we obviously cover on the network extensively. And uh, what's really interesting about Tule, phenomenal production at USC, 13 and a half sacks last year, 22 tackles for loss. I mean, there almost the entire season he led the league, uh, led the nation in sack total. And I mean, with a porous USC defense, he was kind of the lone bright spot, bright spot him, and, um, him and Stearns on the back end. Um, but what's interesting about Thule is that played kind of that five technique at USC and now with an obvious weight shift, if those that don't know, so let me say this, I was, I was going to ask this and I'm glad you're bringing this up. So on USC's website all year, he was listed around 290. That absolutely was not true. Anyone that played sports in high school and college know that they inflate your stats on those websites. Like the NFL, you can't do that, obviously, but they do it in high school. I think in high school, I was listed at like 5'10", 180. I was like 5'6", 155 wet. So, um, But Julie was listed at like, I don't know, that weight. He was not playing that. But he was certainly heavier than 266, which is what he came in here at the Combine, kind of meaning that he is truly embracing the edge position the only concern for me, and I love too, I love his production, but to me, he's not quite fast enough to be a true pure edge rusher. And I honestly believe whoever drafts him will still kind of kick him inside to that kind of three, five technique position, which I think he'll be great at because that's his style. His, he's a technician. He's got really strong hands. He's quick off the punch, but I just don't think he's fast enough to burn guys around the edge, which is what that weight indicates. So it'll be really interesting to see how teams view that and how he's drafted really interested is why he dropped that. If that was like an agent saying you can make more as an edge guy, if that was his thinking that he could get drafted higher. Uh, but that's definitely something to know. I still think he'll have a phenomenal NFL career. It'll just be interesting to see where he actually ends up. And I, you see with the offensive line a lot, Jake is like a tackle getting drafted as a guard, but then we know Jeremy Salyer played tackle still because he was good enough to. So I think we'll see Thule end up playing where he's supposed to, but it seems like they're listing about edge, which I don't think he truly fits at. Yeah, any of these position versatile guys where you can kick him outside to the edge, you can have him play the five technique. These are the type of guys that I think that the Chargers are going to invest in because obviously you let Jerry Tillery go. You need to reload some of that interior defensive line depth, but you also need another edge rusher behind Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Um, I was interested in asking you that, actually, because when you put the tape on of Thule, he and at the time so when it's when it was listed at 290 pounds I, I have this in my notes I'm like he does not move around like a guy who is close to 300 pounds so then of course he weighs it at 266 and I'm like okay this makes a lot more sense <laughs> this this relates yeah. more to the tape I get it um but yeah other yeah. guys uh at a Tomiwa at a Bari at a Northwestern are you kidding me mm-hmm. are you kidding me nice, nice job on that pronunciation that was well done I had to practice that one, and Dan and Dan and I <laughs> actually went through this after the first day of the combine on Friday. Smooth. So I, I I made sure I got the pronunciation down on that one. But talk about a guy who comes in at his size and just runs a blazing forty, a ten five broad jump, thirty seven and a half on the vert. I mean, he turns so many heads, and I know Dan is a big fan of his. And I think that as far as guys who at least 
fluctuated their draft stock in the positive direction. I'm not sure what round he's going to go, but I think that you could possibly put him late day two now with a performance like that. And again, another scheme versatile guy. He's quick enough to play the outside and, and uh, he's got enough power to play inside and get a legit pass rush. I was very impressed for his, with his combine performance. Yeah, no, phenomenal. Uh, I think I know there's a lot of uh, dispute about this, but based on the actual numbers, ran the same forty as uh, a Chargers Unleashed favorite Tank Dell. So you know that's always fun when those those big heads. Which, can, which again, it, run that that, that context is just bonkers when you say <laughs> it like that. It it really is wild. Weird. And, wow. and a great transition because, yes, that is the other position of of note, obviously, that everybody mm-hmm. wanted to see on uh, day three of the draft. I keep forgetting what day we're on here. Uh, was the wide receiver group coming out? And yep. you tell me whether or not you felt this way. So when the first group of wide receivers are coming out and the 40 times are starting to come in, did you feel like, you know, a handful of these guys – I expected to go a little bit faster. This first group of wide receivers was not as fast as what you may have expected. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to just pure times, it certainly felt that way. Um, I'm always a little biased, maybe because I played receiver a little bit, maybe because that's the position I love, like studying the most, probably because I played it. Uh, But I, and we can get into this, but I just think, you know, tape speed and actual game time speed is so much different than 40 times speed. But to your point, definitely felt slow that first group because these are some guys that were projected to run, you know, four twos, four threes, maybe sub four fours. And they were all in the sub high fours, sub five, even some sub four sixes. I don't know if it was just that the turf was running a little, uh, little slow that that day or what but it was definitely surprising seeing the times come in for me it doesn't concern me personally it probably maybe teams do take that into account um but i think we're we're seeing more nowadays at least in the last couple probably five years of the draft where we're not seeing any more of the john rosses where a 40 time alone gets you into the top 10 right like i mean we saw dk matcalf blow the blow the field away and he still was drafting the second round which i don't still understand that completely but i think we're we're past that where people are so concerned about the 40 times speed when they say okay well we saw what he did for three years at houston talking about tank dale or saw what zay flowers did or saw what jordan addison did winning the blitnikoff in his last year at usc that i don't think a, a 4 4 9 40 is going to deter teams away from that but to your point it did seem like a little slow there for that first group which was interesting yeah, and then finally the second group came out, and you're like, okay, someone finally untied the anchors, and it started to get a little bit faster. Um, mm-hmm. But I do remember, t- you know, just just kick this off with with the Tank Dell aspect because I I was texting Dan yesterday, <laughs> Saturday. That's Saturday, Dan's boy, right? That's Dan's boy, and yeah. I started texting him the forty times that were coming in for Tank Dell, and he just had a bunch of question marks behind it because he was like, four five, really. <laughs> Really? (laughs) Which I get, but again, it it goes back to what you see on the field. And then I thought a lot of these guys, when it came to the 40 times where it was, you may have expected them to do a little bit faster and then you get into the position drills and that's where they really shined guys like tank Dell, Josh Downs, Zay flowers, when they were going through the gauntlet drills, they just look so smooth. And it's, it's the stuff that they are so good at coming into this draft. I was really happy even with, uh, the fact that Zay Flowers was hoping to test in the four-three time, even putting on ten pounds before the combine, still comes up with a four-four-two. Um, uh, Marvin Mims, I thought, just absolutely destroyed the combine with mm-hmm. his numbers. So he had five eleven, one eighty-three, ran a four-three-eight, uh, 39, 39 and a half on the vert, um, and then. Trey Palmer, who was another one of Dan's boys, coming in and running a blistering four-three. I mean, mm-hmm. four, excuse me, four, three, three. Um, I thought Jordan Addison. I'd like to hear your opinions on this because a lot of people were even questioning that 40 time. And then he, the, the second one came around. You're like, oh, okay. That's more like it at a four, four, nine. But overall, I mean, just every, everything, you know, there's a lot of people that have the, him as the consensus number one pick. There are some people that believe that it, 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 this wide receiver class is just so different from years past where you don't have yeah. the consensus, you know, three top guys that could go anywhere and have a very similar skill set, big body, huge catch radius. Now it's just a little bit different of a mixture. And with Jordan Addison, 
you know, there's mock drafts that have had him falling to the Chargers at 21. There are some that believe that he'll be the first receiver taken off the board. But obviously, again, local. So I'd, I would like to hear your thoughts just on Jordan Addison, how you felt he did at the combine, and just your thoughts on him overall. Yeah, I'll do that. And I want to hear your how you rank your receivers. Have you, like, we haven't really – you're you're like probably our most esteemed draft guy on the LA Football oh, Network. And I haven't really got to dive Come in on. with you yet. So – um, no, don't sell yourself short. I mean, I'm looking at this like 300 name spreadsheet over here prepared. So well done. Um, but no, Jordan Addison is in- interesting to me. So I mean, last year, and it would be fat. It would be amazing if USC was able to have back to back first receivers taken in the draft. Um, but last year I was huge on Drake London, obviously still am. Um, I know his rookie numbers in the NFL weren't illustrious, but obviously you got to look at the offense of the quarterback he was with. And uh, that tells you a little bit more, but I was huge on Drake London. I basically guaranteed he'd be the first receiver taken just because of the skill set he had, the size he has, the speed with that size, the, the playmaking ability, the tackle breaking ability. And, you know, he went eighth overall. Jordan Addison, I think is a, is a phenomenal, phenomenal receiver, but you know, he's definitely very, very different than what we saw on Drake London. You know, he's a smaller guy. I think he listed what at six foot, uh, just around a 185 or so. And, uh, but he's a technician when it comes to his route running, very sure handed. And he's a very smart and cerebral receiver. Uh, you talked to him, we talked to him a bunch throughout the season, whether it be in press conferences or one-on-one interviews. And the dude is just like all business. And he plays that way too. Like he knows like when to get down, when to get out of bounds, when to either go over the middle or not how to do exactly like the exact routes he needs to run to score touchdowns. And I think that's going to carry him a long way, not only in this draft process, but then also once he's in the league, because a lot of receivers, let's be honest. I mean, that's like the showboating position. That's like primetime showtime position. And with Addison, it's just, it's all business. And he he knows exactly what needs to happen for him to uh, get the job done. And so that's why I think very highly of him. Will he be one? Will he be, I mean, he'll for sure be a first rounder. I think just depends on what you like more, I guess, in terms of size and some of the intangibles, but for me, and talking in terms of the Chargers, you know, I would love him on the Chargers. I think I know everyone looks at the Chargers. Okay, we got Keenan Allen as a great route runner, and they'll immediately say, well, we already have a great route runner. Why would we want a Jordan Addison? And I know you see the 40 time in, you know, the, the 4 4 9, but throw on the tape against Stanford, throw on the tape against Notre Dame, some of these other games, the dude can get behind. The, the safeties, the dude can, can burn you on the back end. And so I, that's where I think these 40 times, albeit are useful and, and nice to see, but I think some of these receivers that are not just pure burn speed, but can still actually burn guys uh, is where I think I, I would want fans to say, okay, no, this is a guy that can really do that. And, and I think Jordan Addison would do that. So tossing it back to you, what do you think Addison? How do you list him in your, in your receiver rankings? And now are we, are we going Best wide receivers overall, or are you asking me how I relate it to the Chargers? Let's do both. Two I mean, it's your show. It's, I mean, it's your it's show, but let's do best overall, list. and then let's do and then let's do for the Chargers. Let's do them both. I mean, I'll say this much: you know, we did, we did our. our I'll tell you who I want for the Chargers yet. most. After you, and done. who is that? Okay, after I'm done. Okay, fair enough. Well, we did our best five fits last week. And I thought the majority of those guys that we selected actually had pretty good performances this week. So I'll, I'll tailor this more to just best overall. Jordan Addison is my wide receiver one. Quentin Johnson is my wide receiver two. This is where it gets a little bit dicey. And I really wish that Jackson Smith and Jigba was able to run his 40 on this because he was another guy who just even going through the on-field drills, uh, the 10-5 broad and the 6.573 cone is just ridiculous <laughs> for, yeah. for, for that type of route running. Again, we're talking about the route running aspect. I mean, he's definitely polished in that department. Uh, so Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jalen Hyatt is right there at like three or four. And it's like one day I would wake up and I'd say it's Jalen Hyatt. Or one day I'd wake up and I would say it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. But Jalen Hyatt, who obviously is a lot of people's target for the Chargers for the sheer speed aspect, I thought, again, a 4-4 flat is what he ended up running. And guys, I know everybody was expecting him to run a sub-4 in the 4-3s. But still, even a 4-4 flat with a 40-inch vert and an 11-3 broad, that is just ridiculous. And then you go back and you watch what he actually just relate that to the film tape and what he put up. And it's impressive. And for if you're looking for a guy who's going to be a wide receiver three to pair with Keenan Allen and uh, 
Uh, oh my Mike God. Williams. Why am I? Thank you. <laughs> Jeez, I'm yeah. literally just having a brain fry right there. He's, he's, he's going to be your guy to stretch the field. This is going to be, you know, go post every, every single snap that you want. And he's going to be able to get downfield for you. So, uh, and then coming in at number five, and he could even rise off of this. I love the way that he performed at the combine and love the way he looked through the gauntlet drills and that's Zay flowers. And yes, I have been the biggest Zay flowers fan since the draft stock talk has actually, uh, took place and again put another 10 pounds before the combine still ran a 442 with a 107 uh broad jump and when he was going through the gauntlet drills it just looked like cake for him it just like yeah. he was in his natural element i still think that he is the most dynamic wide receiver in this entire draft because of his explosive capabilities um and yeah i mean it'd be interesting it'd be interesting because i just looking at how some of these, I mean, again, it's not a downfall to perform for them, but I think it was more of a interesting aspect when you see the way that other position groups fared so much better that the priority for teams and wide receiver may get ticked down the line a little bit for a lot of people that would possibly say, you know, four or five receivers a couple of weeks ago could go in the first round. I don't know if that happens anymore. There may only be two that ended up going in this first round, but time will tell on that. And obviously that changes whenever we get closer to the NFL draft. Yeah. Cause what, what remind me last year was what? Six went in the first round. I believe we had six. If I remember correctly, it was, it was six. Yeah. It was just, so. it was, was a, like, it was a plethora of talent with the, at the wide receiver yeah. group last year. It was disgusting. Wild. Um, and they were all, but, they all had very solid rookie seasons too. Like they all like lived up to the bill, if you will, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but just kind of going through, other guys that performed in this position group, Josh Downs, I really liked the way that he looked on on-field drills. Quentin Johnson, uh, you know, he obviously didn't run the 40, but when he was out there taking uh, throws from the quarterback and just showing his catch radius, he has the best athletic profile of anybody in this, in this draft, and I don't think that anybody could dispute that. Tyler Scott mm-hmm. looked fantastic. I thought Tank Dell, outside of his, you know, possibly disappointing 40. I still thought he looked good. Definitely worth, you know, a mid round pick for the chargers. If it comes to that, I think he would be a great weapon. I mentioned Marvin Mims Mims earlier, Trey Tucker again from Cincinnati. Cincinnati is just turning out a lot of athletic weapons over there. Um, Jaden Reed, who was another one of my fits that I had out of Michigan state. I really liked the way that his combine ended up coming out. He, uh, he ended up running a four, four, God, I'm sorry, I'm getting lost in my uh, spreadsheet here as far as like separating the numbers here. It's a, <laughs> a 445, 445 with a 33 and a half inch vert. Um, again, just go back and watch the tape from him on Michigan State. And he, I feel like he plays faster than that time when you watch him on field. And I really like the way that he came out in the senior bowl and how he looked. Uh, and one of Dan's other boys, Trey Palmer, Nebraska, after he ran what he ran, I just saw Chargers Twitter light up saying, oh, my God, like I have to go back and watch this guy on film mm-hmm. from Nebraska because he is a weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a great, great showing. And, you know, really any of these guys, I, I would not be necessarily disappointed with the Chargers taking. Well, not any of them, I guess, but a, a, a solid number of the top, you know, top six or so. At 21, as I just alluded to, I won't dive too much more into it, but I love Jordan Addison. I do think he'd be a good fit. I'm a big Jackson Smith and Jigba guy. Uh, Jake, I, I judge a lot. Obviously, I watch tape and stuff like that, but I also judge a lot on what like teammates and coaches say. And I remember a few years ago, if you remember the USC roster, you had Michael Pittman Jr., you had Tyler Vons, who was very good, and you had Amon Ross St. Brown, and then Jake uh, Drake London was a rookie. And that year... Both Pittman and Amon Ra had over a thousand yards. Tyler Vaughn's had over a thousand yards. He had three receivers over a thousand. Drake London as a freshman, almost 600 yards. We interviewed all those guys. All three of them said Drake London, by far the most talented guy in the room. I mean, obviously teammates are going to be nice to their teammates, but they were like, this guy blows us away how talented he is. When both Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigbo were on the team last year, there was a lot of talk about how Jackson Smith and Jigma was by far the most talented out of the three. Now he had some injuries this year, which I think is why his stock kind of dropped. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. Obviously took the world by storm with how good he is too. But last year with how good Alave and Chris Garrett, both going what top 15 in last year's draft. And at the time they were saying in Jigba was the most talented of them. So I hear that 
And obviously there was a little drop off this year, but those are the kind of conversations and those are the kind of pedigree and praise I like hearing more than, you know, just reporters necessarily. And so I'm still very high on Njigba. I think he brings a lot to you uh, and Britt would bring a lot to this Chargers team, both him and Addison, kind of similar skill sets in a way, similar size. And Jig was a little bigger. Um, but I think those would be my top two choices if we go receiver in that first round. Um, but obviously all the guys you mentioned, Mims definitely raised his stock in this, in this combine. Uh, and one guy I'll throw out there, this would definitely not be in the first round, but if we're sticking with receivers and we're sticking in LA, big Jake Bobo guy at a UCLA, big body, six, four, you know, two twenty plus. Uh, he I thought he had a real solid combine. Looks great. Yeah, here's the thing about him, Jake. I don't know how much you watch UCLA. I'm sure you watch some tape on him, but the biggest thing about Drake London, you know, he may not be a 115 yard reception, 1800 yard receiving guy, but all he did in his one season at UCLA is make big time clutch catches. When you had to have a fourth down conversion, when the, you were up against the clock, when you were third and long, whatever it may be, you knew it was going to Jake Bobo and you knew he was going to make the catch. And 10 times out of 10, he brought it down somehow, some way. So you need a guy like that in your squad in the receiver room. It seems like Mike Williams kind of has been that guy a lot of times for the Chargers. Unfortunately, last year had you know some drops in those moments. Um, and I'm not saying Jake Bobo would replace Mike Williams, but could certainly be an assistant, if you will, to Mike Williams as that wide receiver, you know, five or so behind Joshua Palmer, if they can get him a late round. So I think that's a, definitely a name to watch. And the Chargers have, you know, kind of ran into that UCLA pool every now and then in those mid rounds. So definitely a guy I would keep my eye on him. Just your quick thought on this, because I know Dan and I have talked about this. We've also heard about this on Charter's Twitter. But do you think, and, and I say this just from the standpoint that, you know, you have Keenan Allen, who Tom Telesco earlier this week just basically put his foot down and said, Keenan Allen's not going anywhere. But you know yes. that he has one year left on his deal. Mike Williams, we, we know his aspects. You know, he's, he's still signed for this team for another two years. Um, and But he's had the injuries, ups and downs. Then you have uh, uh, DeAndre Carter, awesome. who's yep. not going not gonna to be coming back. So this wide receiver room is a little – I mean, again, Josh Palmer still kind of coming into his own. Would you put it outside the realm that the Chargers could go after a wide receiver not just once, but twice? I would, yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. Obviously, we'll see what they do in free agency, but obviously, not a lot of money in free agency. So, um, because Jake, I know you guys have talked about this, but and I hate when we say on paper, especially with this Chargers team, because on paper, it's, know, never, it's like never, the cursed term. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I feel bad I even said it, but on paper, there's really not a lot of holes on this team outside of, you know, wide receiver depth and you know if they're going to resign Trey Pippins at right tackle and then potentially linebacker because of some of the impending free agents and then obviously the interior defensive line like you mentioned but there's not like a bevy of needs and so you know with those seven picks I would not be shocked at all if they take two receivers and you know if you can get a really really talented speedy but also possession guy in that first round and then go get a big body in those later rounds like a Jake Bobo I think that'd be a really smart move and you know we've seen them before take multiple receivers and unfortunately just didn't work out, <laughs> but, but we've seen then before what was the most recent draft they did. It was what the KJ was Joe Hill Reed. Yeah. And, Joe Reed and KJ and Hill Reed. in the same dream. Yep. Yeah. Which was yep. what and, six yeah. and seven. So, but if they go first and five, I'd be good with that. I'd be happy with that. Give, give Herbert all the weapons you can, right? That's the goal right now. I, I think if you're telling someone that you could find a wide receiver five in this group when you had 50 wide receivers at the NFL combine alone, I think that you have a good chance of possibly finding one that could step in as a wide receiver five. No doubt about it. Uh, let's switch yeah. gears over to another one of the most talented groups of this entire combine, Ryan. And let's talk about the tight end position. Um, just some athletic freaks in this in this class. And as Daniel Jeremiah said, it's the best tight end class that he's ever that he's evaluated in the last 10 years. And tight end is another possibility for the Chargers at 21. Uh, obviously, a lot of people were bummed that we didn't get a chance to see Dalton Kincaid go out there and perform because he's nursing an injury right now. But that's a name that obviously has been floated around a lot. But a lot of these mm -hmm. guys, Luke Musgrave, Michael Mayer, Darnell Washington, put on a Ooh. great show, a great show at the Combine. Um, just kind of from your 50 foot view, as far as your takeaways, um, you know, what, what did you think about some of these big name guys, as far as at least like the top four that everybody's been talking about for this tight end class? 
I mean, I think they all lived up to the hype, which is hard to do when you have coming into this combine, coming into this offseason, everyone was talking about, as you've alluded to, this tight end class being one of the best ever. And guys that not only can catch and give you touchdowns and yards, but also can block. I mean, true tight ends, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle-like tight ends, which is always dangerous when you start comparing these young kids to stars in the NFL. But a lot of them did that in college, and they they have those body types, and and they lived up to it at the Combine. You know, you mentioned Kincaid didn't get to run drills nurse injury we were able to talk to him though at the you know in the press conferences and um you know bright young kid obviously we saw him twice as he just absolutely destroyed usc this year <laughs> playing for utah so i got a real up close and personal with dalton kincaid because he was the main reason why you utah won both those games um but you know bright kid and he said many times in his i think i counted almost four times in his interviews that he injury feels great He's meeting with doctors this weekend, expects to have some very good news moving forward. And and so it seems like he'll be in all systems go. Uh, Michael Meyer, you know, lived up to the hype. I think Darnell Washington is probably the big one that just blew everyone away that if you if you watch his game, and I'm sure you guys talked about it a bunch, I wouldn't say it was surprising. It was expected for him to show off his athletic freakishness but then you know the one-handed catch the sled drill with just the pure power and sheer strength that he has pushing that thing around you start saying like all right this this is a guy that that's a different animal no matter right like no matter what we're getting one great whether he is a bust as a receiving tight end we know he's basically an inline extra tackle or if he's not quite as good as he looks as a tackle, we know this guy can go out and catch balls over the middle or, or out on the outside. So either way, even if both attributes don't pan out, you're getting one great of one of them, but most likely both will pan out. So he's a guy for me, and I'm, I'll probably get a little off topic. I'm really big on Gerald Everett in this Kellen Moore system. I think Everett's going to have a breakout year this year. And so I wouldn't go tight end at 21. Now, obviously this can change and maybe Washington will be a, bonafide first round pick no matter what but if you can get a guy like darnell washington in the second round i would for sure say take someone else in the first and get get washed a guy like washington that second um just because i think everett can be a really good pass catching tight end for you then you can have darnell who can kind of do it all and kind of come into his own as everett's contract expires but overall answer your question i think this tight end group looked really good and really lived up to the bill and it'll be exciting to see now over the next month as we really dive into draft stuff kind of where they go up and down because i'm sure they'll the top three or four will shift, I'm sure, every week of who's one, who's two, who's three, who's four. Since Dan always likes to do segues when it comes to us paying the bills, and because you just had said that you really like Gerald Everett in this offense, but I know that he's also been a candidate for a possible, you know, cap casualty. Yeah. Chances that you give right now as far as Gerald Everett being on this team to start the 2023 season. Oh, well, I can't say I'm really excited to see him in this offense with Kellen Moore and didn't give him a bad chance. I'll go exactly. I'll go 80 I'll go 89%. He'll be on this roster next. Perfect. Next All right. Well, quick break before we end up talking about the rest of this combine weekend. We just want to remind everybody that Bet Online is where you're always going to find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. So head on over to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. And make sure to use that promo code believe that's B-L-E-A-V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Uh, I want to flip it back over here to the defensive side of the ball because Brandon Staley has said repeatedly that you can never have enough cornerbacks. And obviously with Nasir Adderley looking like he will not be back with this team next year. I definitely think that safety is going to be addressed at one point in this, um, at one point in this draft. We, I know we took JT Woods in the draft last year, but really didn't get an opportunity to see that. And you have a yeah. Gilman who I thought stepped up really, really well in Nasir Adderley's absence, but I still feel like this is a position that you're going to have to address from a depth perspective. And again, you're shifting around your defensive coordinators now, and especially with Derek Ansley being the former secondary coach, I could definitely see this being a priority. He was on field actually going through all these cornerback drills there in Indy at the combine. So I think he got a nice up close look at this, but from the cornerback standpoint, I mean, a lot of these guys were, basically just as advertised. I mean, Christian Gonzalez, obviously one of the top corners of the draft looked great. Joey Porter looked great. And then you have Michigan's DJ Turner who comes out and runs a four, two, seven. 
that caught, mm-hmm. that made everybody stand up and raise their eyebrows a little bit. Um, uh, Keely Ringo, I thought still ran a nice four three six forty. Uh, Clark Phillips didn't run the fastest 40, but I've always been a fan of Clark Phillips coming into this draft position drills. He looked a lot better. Um, Darius rush out of South Carolina. I thought also had another good day. And then, uh, where was it now? I'm totally losing my spot here on my spreadsheet. Apologies. Uh, Deontay banks out of Maryland, Maryland has Maryland had a nice handful of players in this draft that actually came out and looked really, really good. Um, so, I mean, did you have any evaluations? Did you even have any interviews with some of the guys there on uh, on day two with the DB groups? Yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to think if you mentioned him, but he didn't really run uh, any drills, I believe. But Cam Smith is a guy that I like out of South Carolina. Um, real polished in his interviews and, uh, and and thought he's a guy that, you know, could, could – could provide uh, some potential and also depth there. Clark Phillips, you mentioned him, and not a guy that – this is where we talked about Anthony Richardson and how the combine can just skyrocket your play. And then a guy like Clark Phillips, maybe people will get – I don't think teams will necessarily, but maybe people when uh, projecting him will get a little nervous about him. But you just got, he's a guy you got to look at production on the field. And at Utah, he was just so dominant. And we talked to – DTR, Jordan Addison, Jake Bobo, a handful other receivers, but primarily Pac-12 guys. And every offensive Pac-12 guy we talked to, and they said, who's someone on the Pac-12 defense that you face in your college career that either gave you nightmares, gave you the most trouble? Unanimously, everyone said Clark Phillips. That's how good the dude was in his college career at Utah. And sometimes, you know, Drills helpful for other people, but sometimes you just say this is a guy that not only dominated, and like I said earlier, Jake, I look a lot at what their peers say, their teammates say, and when everyone is unanimously saying this is a dude that shut us down or or gave us fits, that's what I'm like. That's a dude I want on my team, and it sounds like you can get him in a later round based on what these projections are. So I would absolutely circle Clark Phillips as a a big guy to go after. Um, obviously, the ones you mentioned, Joey Porter would be outstanding. Christian Gonzalez would be outstanding. Um, and and whatnot so but you know if you can get one of those really productive guys in the later rounds i think you can do some really good things i'll just mention just because we cover him makai blackman out of usc a guy that transferred from colorado i mentioned the usc defense being very porous uh, outside of tuli tuli pelotu and and their bright young safety but makai blackman did show some some good things while playing at usc and if you look at their defense as a whole their secondary in terms of some of the production they had actually did some good things. And Blackman was one of those bright spots. So he's a guy too, that you could take in that, you know, potentially sixth, seventh round, or maybe even undrafted and develop and kind of get a guy like Derek Ansley or Brandon Staley to really kind of take them under their wing and, and do some good things. So, um, but yeah, Clark Phillips would be kind of my number one guy to go after just because you're not going to take a huge, huge swing on early in the draft. You could probably get later on and guy that just all he did was shut receivers down. A guy who I had uh, unfortunately forgot to mention just a couple seconds ago, we were kind of going through this list, but Kansas State's Julius Brents, who has just been continuing to parlay his, what he did at the senior bowl and then come out and just run a fantastic combine throughout these drills. Was there any talk on him before? Cause I know that there was a lot of talk on him during senior bowl week, but coming into these drills was, I'm, I'm sure that the hype on him was a little bit better. And then to have him come out and perform the way that he did. I know a lot of people are talking about him as a, as another one of those, you know, uh, risers in this draft that benefit that benefited from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can watch his tape and see what he's able to do at college and then, when you have those, I don't want to say question marks, but you have kind of that anticipation coming into the combine. And then they not only meet that, but exceed that. That's only going to help what you do, you know, come draft time and come now this next month and a half process of where they can kind of look at their things. But I think he's you know, in the draft process has only built his stock higher. And he only did that at the combine as well. So, uh, you know, hats off to that young kid. And, you know, it's, it's good to see, you know, we, we talked to some of these guys and, and I've talked to players afterwards. It's funny. I actually had a meeting with Sean Merriman on Friday, a uh, former charger. Great. And it's funny. A lot of them just talk about how it's just grueling this combine process. And it's gotten a lot easier now, but back in the day, Sean was saying like some of the interview questions are just crazy what these teams put you through. And, and now it's not as off the wall, but it still is a grueling nerve wracking, scary process. Maybe the biggest 
technical process for these kids, even though some of these kids have played national title games, but that's just going out and balling. This is like these interview processes you get nervous for. So it's great when you see kids, like you mentioned, that actually go out and not only perform well, but exceed the expectations. So, um, yeah, we're, we're two cents. We just want to get that in there that it's, it's great when you see these young men, uh, go out and actually, uh, you know, build their hype up even more and, you know, continue their dreams. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little to touch on here on the safety group. Um, Again, I mentioned that I feel like the safety is going to be addressed at some point in this draft from Nasir Adderley not being on the team. And I'm not going to hide it anymore, and I haven't hit it, and I know that we haven't really taken a deep dive into the safety class thus far on this show yet. But Sidney Brown, I have been so impressed with him, and I think he would be an absolutely fantastic fit, not just from the standpoint of filling the, the need for safety, but because he is so versatile. You can play him inside. You can play him outside. You can play him at corner. You can play him at nickel. And he is just a tough mother, man. I mean, and he comes out and he runs a 4-4-7 with a 40-and-a-half-inch vert and a 10-10 in the broad. I mean, just to show his athleticism. And if you turn on his tape of what he did at Illinois, it's just so impressive. And then he parlayed that again during Senior Bowl week, uh, sticking with a lot of fast receivers that were some people were just, I mean, you know, you're getting blown off. You're basically getting the roof torn off by some of you guys. And he's out there sticking with them. I would love to see Sidney Brown as a mid round pick for the chargers. And I'm sure in terms of his draft stock, probably getting elevated after all of this, it probably won't happen, but I have to mention how much I love Sidney Brown coming into this draft. Jair Brown is another one out of Penn state. This guy is just, and I know that maybe the, the test numbers don't reflect it, but again, you watch his film and you find out how strong this guy is. He's just a powerhouse. He's just a beast. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that he plays the game. And finally, Florida state's Jamie Robinson, is a number is another one that I think that would just be a fantastic fit from a versatility standpoint that you could add to this secondary to, to pair with Derwin James, which would of course be so fitting. You get it, two Florida State boys back there in the secondary manning it now. But as far as fits goes, um, I, I love those three safety prospects. I would love the Chargers to end up with at least one of them. Yeah, no, I like all those two and, you know, great weeks for all of them. Um, I love Jair Brown. He brought up at a Penn State and there's the old adage, the old saying, you know, draft the prospect, not the helmet. Um, but sometimes it's 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 good to look at pedigree in terms of certain position groups. And Penn State's produced some good safeties, I think, over over recent late. And, uh, you know, one that plays just, you know, across the what across the 405 up for the Rams who's actually a free agent. I'd be curious to see if the Chargers go after him, but Nick Scott, former seventh round pick out of Penn state and, you know, was on that a huge instrumental piece for the Rams through will run coming in for injured players. Obviously everyone talks about the Rams signing Eric Weddle, but Nick Scott was huge for that run on the back and his safety. And so you look at Penn state in their terms of producing good safety talent, and obviously, he's a very different player, different type of prospect. But Jair Brown is a guy that I love a lot. So I love that you brought him up because um, I think he'd be a great fit uh, if they don't address anything in, in free agency. And honestly, Jake, I would be shocked if they don't take a safety in the draft. Even if they do sign someone in free agency, just knowing Brandon Staley, knowing the history of what he sees in defensive players, you mentioned the versatility. I think a safety's people should just pencil in a safety somewhere in the seven rounds because I think they're taking one at least. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, speaking of uh, taking players that maybe not being vested in the first round, but possibly in the later rounds, and I know that the Chargers and Tom Telesco specifically have invested in keeping Justin Herbert upright, and they have addressed the offensive line in the last two years, obviously taking Rashawn Slater two years ago and last year taking Zion Johnson. But this all pretty much hinges on whether or not Trey Pipkins is going to be able to come back for the Chargers to see what value the offensive line group really is going to matter for this team in terms of draft needs. And so getting into this offensive line group, you know, mm-hmm. we're not talking about the Peter Skaronskis here. We're not talking about the Broderick Jones, but you know, I know that the Chargers have met with a number of guys that, you know, you could possibly start looking at in the middle of the rounds, but just in general, just to kind of cover this, you know, Peter Skaronsky, I thought looked just as advertised as, 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 as how he should for out of Northwestern. I thought he had a fantastic combine. Broderick Jones also out of Georgia. I thought he he ran the four, he ran a four nine seven at his size, which was just redonkulous. Um uh Braden Daniels out of Utah, who mm-hmm. I know Steve Hagland is a huge fan of. Um, 
and I thought he had a very impressive combine. Uh, another one of the ones that really looked good, uh, Earl Bostic out of Kansas. Just uh, and, and I say this as far as uh, the Chargers aren't sure. They haven't probably alluded to it, but a lot of people believe that Jamari Sawyer is going to take over Matt Filer's space if and when the Chargers end up making him a cap casualty. So you, you, you kind of look at the tackle possibilities. You look at the guard possibilities here, just depending on what happens with both of those players. But um, I know that you didn't get a chance to see this live because you came back from from India day early but did you get a chance to watch any of these guys today yeah yeah watched some of them uh obviously Andrew Voorhees unfortunate sting uh, I was gonna bring that I was gonna bring that up I hope that is not too severe that was so unfortunate to see that happen yeah well I just he's such a good dude uh you know covering him at USC and he got injured last year and unfortunately had to miss the um the Pac-12 title game due to injury and was kind of rehabbing the knee there. Uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember if it was the same knee, but pulled up obviously in the combine today. So, so hope, you know, the best for him. Uh, John Gaines out of UCLA. I think he's a guy that's getting really slept on Uh, team leader. uh, One of the captains on UCLA all season long. He was one of the representatives at Pac-12 media day, just because of what he meant to this offense. And if, if people watch UCLA, obviously Zach Charbonnet, who maybe we'll talk about here in a minute, um, who is just an unbelievable freak athlete when it comes to running back, but UCLA offensive line does not get enough credit for what they do. I mean, there was a game, Jake, last year where Zach Charbonnet was out and UCLA ran for 410 yards on the ground. It was one of the most prolific rushing games of all time without their freakishly all pro running back. And John Gaines was a big part of that as well as Anthony Moffey, who I don't believe was at the combine, but it's another prospect in this draft. So um, not just talking the LA guys, but those are just guys I know really well, but you know, a lot of these other guys I think had good combines overall and guys that, you know, the Chargers will absolutely, I think target in these kind of mid rounds. And, and you mentioned it, obviously a lot hinges on what they do with Trey Pipkins, because if they don't get him, then that, that first round pick maybe uh, changes a little bit there at, at 21, but if they do, then they can just go for depth here in these mid rounds and get, get some of these uh, other guys that we'd mentioned. So a lot to dive into over these last you know month and a half or so with these, I think offensive linemen t- uh, prospects. For context, John Gaines led all offensive linemen in the drills today with the best three cone drill and, uh, and the 20 yard short shuttle. So, you know, he can move. Uh, so let's wrap this up, Ryan, with the running back position and, Bijan Robinson is a guy who has garnered a lot of talk around Chargers Twitter. I've seen him in mock drafts going there at 21. A lot of people just say, you know, screw the fact that the Chargers don't necessarily need a running back. He's that big of a weapon that he's just totally going to be able to change the dynamic of the system. And, you know, his combine, I thought, was good. I, I think as far as what people were expecting him to run possibly could have been even a little bit better, but overall I thought it was a solid combine for him still definitely solidified himself as the number one running back in this draft. There's no doubt about that, given the talent that he brings to the table, but just in general, just because I've heard this and a lot of people have been talking about it and basically saying, screw it. I want Bijan. What would you, th- I mean, just, uh, I want you to just try to predict what the pulse would be of the Chargers fan base, if the Chargers ended up pulling the trigger and taking Bijan Robinson at 21 overall, given everything that's on the table. And for me, it's mm-hmm. circumstantial because if you were to tell me and, you know, look ahead in the future, read the fortune and tell me the Chargers are going to take Bijan Robinson at 21, my retort is going to be who else was on the board when, <laughs> when the Chargers mm-hmm. made that selection. So I, just because I know it's great, just especially this time of the year for this type of draft talk, but I, I know what he would bring to pair him with an Austin Eckler in a Kellen Moore led offense. It would just be stupid, ridiculous. But do you think that given what, where the chargers have the possibilities at BPA of who still could be on the board coupled with their needs, do you think that that would be a rational move? Oh man. Great loaded question that's going to get me probably hate uh, one way or another, I'm sure. That's just how Chargers <laughs> Twitter works, right? We love it. We love it. Jake, my, uh, so I've never been a big running back in the first round guy. I just think there's so much talent. And in that position in general, even with 
the talent, but also just scheme fit and just the amount of players are out there. It's hard to justify using a first round pick for that. But the more I've been thinking about it, to me, the Chargers, and obviously we'll see things will be very different with Kellen Moore and we'll see the offensive scheme change and whatnot. But the running game was so porous last year overall, from an overall context. Obviously, Austin Eckler's great, and I don't want to sound like I'm coming down Austin Eckler at all, but we've talked about on our show, as good as he is, he's not a true, especially now at his age, now not a true three-down back. Like He's not your bruising guy. Like If they want to really use Austin, and this is just my opinion, you can disagree with me, that's totally fine. But if we want to get the most out of Austin Eckler, we shouldn't want him to get 23 carries a game. Like it should be eight to 10 carries a game and five to six catches a game. Like we still want him to get 15 or so touches, but we want those to look differently. In order to do that, you need to have that kind of true traditional ground and pound tight back, which we were kind of hoping Joshua Kelly would be, whether that's because of Joe Lombardi or whatnot. We haven't really seen him grow into that. Some of the other guys that we've had, obviously, um, Isaiah Spiller maybe could become that, but we just didn't see him. Usually a healthy scratch last year. So again, maybe that changes with Kellen Moore. So all that being said, taking Bajon Robinson 21, if I'm being honest, is still a little rich for me. However, he is the one where this offense is might have the biggest impact in 2023 if they were to take him. Let's just say they get a Jackson Smith and Jigba, a Jordan Addison, uh, Zay Flowers at the receiver side. They might That might end up still being as a rookie wide receiver four. I mean, yes, I know everyone wants a speed burner, stretch the field guy. That might be a guy that gets one to two targets a game. I'm not saying they can't grow into more than that, but that's what it might become. Let's say you take an edge rusher with 21, which I think would be a good pick. They're not going to start above Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa. That's a guy that's coming in as your edge three, edge four, coming in on a NASCAR packages on third down. You take a Bajan Robinson, that's a guy getting 20 carries on game one, most likely. And so I don't love taking a running back in the first round. If it was top 15, I certainly wouldn't love it. But at 21, I think if he's there, I would be totally fine with it. Everyone knows that knows me, knows LAFB, that knows uh, our show. I absolutely love Zach Charbonnet. I don't think you can take him over Bajan Robinson, and I also don't think Charbonnet will be there for the Chargers' second-round pick. I think he'll be gone in between 21 and the Chargers' second-round pick. So either you go and get whoever's available at 21. If it's Bajan, you take him. If he's gone, I wouldn't even hate taking Charbonnet. But I just – I don't know, Jake. I think where this offense is, where this team is – a running back there, I'm starting to wrap my head around more. They would just have the most impact in year one. And maybe year three, it's changing. But if you can get impact in year one and they're in a Super Bowl next year, then I don't think anyone's going to care if he took a running back in the first round. So I'm sure I'll change my mind in two weeks, but that's how I feel right now. Uh, look, I, I'm sure that there are people, Ryan, that share your opinion on that. And I, I appreciate the context because you basically get, gave every reason that you could possibly give for not going that route. And for me, it's uh, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. And again, this is not a knock on Bijan Robinson, and I understand what he could potentially bring to this offense. To me, if you were to if you were to take Bijan Robinson at 21, to me that would mean that Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley are basically saying that they essentially wasted. A, you know, and I want to say well, maybe wasted is the wrong word, but mm-hmm. let's just say swung and missed on their evaluations of. When they chose Larry Roundtree, when they chose Joshua Kelly, especially after he performed, and then really last year for the fact that Isaiah Spiller was barely even utilized in this offense. And I just can't see Tom Telesco doing that um, from that from that standpoint. It's very rare that he lets a rookie performer go, especially at a skill position. Unless it's for a very good reason, unless it's injury related, uh, I don't think he's especially going to do it if he hasn't given a proper opportunity for him to get enough starting adequate wet reps. And for the fact that Isaiah Spiller did not see the field as much as a lot of people should, and I think and a lot of people had questions about that, saying Larry Roundtree is performing better than Isaiah Spiller every week in practice. What's it going to take to get him elevated? And even when he did, he played very sparringly. So the fact that you didn't get an opportunity to see that yet, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that Tom Telesco would be willing to say that, okay, I made a mistake and that was a 
waste of a fourth round pick. So let's go ahead and draft B. John Robinson at 21. That just would not make the logical Tom Telesco sense. Not to say that what, what B. John couldn't do to this team, but if I'm putting my Tom Telesco cap on, that is what I believe that he would be have to admit to himself if he was to make that selection at 21. <laughs> so I just don't see it happening for a number of those reasons. But outside of Bijan Robinson, a couple other guys that had fantastic days, obviously Jamari Gibbs from Alabama looked great. Deuce Vaughn, who I have given the valedictorian of size be damned in this draft uh, from Kansas State. He didn't end up running the 40, but man, oh man, on the on-field field workouts, he showcased what makes him such a dynamic and agile running back in this class. I am a huge fan of Tajay Spears in this class. Um, and I think just a lot of the running backs that I don't think that are getting talked about enough behind Bijan really helped elevate their status. Chase Brown out of Illinois was another one for as big as he is to lead all the running back group in the 40-inch jump with the broad jump of 10-7 and a 4-4-3-40. Uh, that is ridiculous. And again, his brother, Sydney, one of my favorites, also playing out of the same alumni. Uh, I thought he had another strong combine as well. So when you kind of weigh this running back class, is it something that I feel like the Chargers could address again? Yeah, I do. And it may be another mid-round day three selection by Tom Telesco just to say, like, can I get it right? Can I get it right? But I don't, I don't really know the chances of that. And I think for the standpoint, if we knew what Isaiah Spiller was or if we got a glimpse of it in 2022, I think that we'd have a better answer on this because there's so many question marks in that equation right now. Uh, I, I just I can't see them pulling it pulling that trigger at least before day three. I mean, Isaiah Spiller is the biggest confusing question mark that I can remember. Well, there's been a few when it comes to just looking at the draft, you know, like a Joe Reed and some of these other guys out there, but Isaiah Spiller has got to be up there and one of the most confusing. And, and I agree with you when you look at what will Tom Telesco do, it doesn't make it, it basically, apparently he will not do what I don't want to say what he should do, but he will not do what, potentially the team needs at that spot because of saying, well, we haven't seen this through, right? Um, I'm in the belief, and this is not, again, not saying they're to do that, is you evaluate your team right now and say, this is what we need and be damned of who we took in years prior if they didn't live up to that. But I, I agree with you. I think it'd be very difficult to see them doing that in the first round. And, and to your point, if a guy like Tajay Spears who is just keeps skyrocketing, especially after that cotton bowl game against USC. There's a trend here, right? Guys just smoking my USC Trojans. Um, Ataja <laughs> Spears, unbelievable. But the guy you mentioned, Jake, that, that I absolutely fell in love with th later in the season and specifically in that big 12 title game against TCU is Deuce Fonz. You mentioned out of Kansas state. I think he could be an absolutely stud guy if they get in that mid round, if they were to go after him. Um, and then I guess we'll just, what, see him or Isaiah Spiller duke it out for that uh, 46th roster spot on game day and see what happens. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see Deuce Vaughn in this offense. I really would. That would bring back all the Darren Sproles vibes that we had so many years ago. And to me, that would give you three backs that can essentially just do so much from, yeah. from a different standpoint, for what you need offensively. You have your do-it-all with Austin Eckler. Isaiah Spiller is a different running back than, than Austin Eckler is, but Deuce Vaughn would just add a whole nother element of electricity, no pun intended, to this offense. So I would love to see Deuce Vaughn in this offense. I think that would be so fun to watch. Um, outside of that, uh, I was here so close to calling you Dan, right? I was, this is a creature yeah, of habit. There it moment. is. But outside of outside of uh, breaking down all these positions, since you had boots down on the ground in, in Indy, um, anything just that we didn't get a chance to touch on tonight as far as prospects, experiences, maybe things that you've heard, team meetings, anything else that we didn't get a chance to cover thus far? I think I think uh, you did a good job. We hit most of it. I thought it was it was cool to see a lot of the Chargers brass out there. I know there's some like conflicting reporting in the beginning of the week, but I think it was more so just because Telesco and Bradley Staley were not doing media interviews, um, but they were there. Obviously we saw them on the show. They weren't they were there. On. Some people were yeah. there. Yes. Yeah. But they were there. One funny thing is uh, our first night there, Jake uh, restaurant. We're grabbing a drink at sitting right by Joe Lombardi. 
And then the very next day we go grab lunch and sitting right by Kellen Moore. So it was like, it was like a perfect Chargers rom-com, like seeing your ex and now your current girlfriend in the same city hanging out. <laughs> um, so that was, that was kind of fun and interesting, but um, no, I, I think, uh, I think you hit most, I think, uh, you know, really exciting weekend, uh, some good stuff for the Chargers. I think uh, just so everyone to be clear, a lot of Chargers brass out in, Indy for this so I remember tweeting out something and someone being like well they should be in Indy I'm like yeah I'm in Indy and that's why I said I saw him so they're in Indy don't worry they're all there obviously you mentioned Ansley was on the field for some of the drills uh, as the new DC so um, I think it's an exciting time uh, for the charge I think this new not really new necessarily but this revamped Brandon Saley coaching staff um, obviously has a lot to prove this year, but I think uh, they're in a good spot, at least in terms of a month or so out from the draft to uh, kind of build upon that. So good weekend, Andy. Excited to really dive into this more uh, with you guys, with all of our crew, you know, over the next whatever it is, 60 days or so, 45 days. Another combine in the books, and that will wrap it up for us tonight on Chargers Unleashed. You could, of course, uh, follow the show at LAC underscore Unleashed myself at JT Hefner on Twitter. You can also follow Ryan Dyrud at Ryan Dyrud LAFB on Twitter as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're going to have plenty much more as we are in the thick of draft season. We're only a few weeks away from free agency, so I'm sure that's going to bring a whole nother wave of news to come as it relates to the Chargers goes. But uh We're pushing on April 27th. We're in the thick of draft season. Gotta love this time of year. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. See you next time on Chargers Unleashed.